Open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Glad you all are here today. This morning we're beginning a few weeks of study on discipleship. So this morning, Engage Discipleship, part 1. We're going to see what we can do. I do have to uh, announce, I was going to do the message on the ESV tonight. And uh, I'm moving that to next week, next Sunday night. I'm going to do the message on the ESV. And uh, so tonight we're going to be doing some more work on discipleship. So when we think about the subject of discipleship, we need to pan out a little bit and take, take a, a big view of what the subject would even entail. So we'll start with this. How many of you think that this is a big topic right here? What is Christianity? That's where you have to start. If we're going to look at what discipleship is, and there's a verse in Mark uh, chapter 6 that says this, uh, Jesus went into his own country and his disciples followed him. His disciples followed him. What is a disciple? It's a follower of Jesus. That's what a disciple does. It's someone who follows Christ. Well, every, the, any religion has disciples. You know, uh, some young moon had disciples and uh, uh, the, the guy with the Kool-Aid, Jim Jones, he had disciples. How many of you are glad you're not a part of that church? Yeah, amen? <laughs> not, not a whole lot of future in that uh, particular ministry. If we're going to look at this subject of discipleship, we need to understand what is biblical Christianity. And for us, because uh, how many of you have been born within the last 2,000 years? Any of you? All right. For us, this concept of Christianity, it's not new to us, but we need to understand how new it was to the world. Because what happened in Christianity is that God became flesh. God became flesh. I was reading a commentary on John, and John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so he said what he does, this commentator said, what the writer of John does is he draws our attention back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right? And so it draws us back. And so what the writer said was, what he is saying is that the word being made flesh is of comparable magnitude to the creation of the world. Well, comparable in the sense that it's a whole lot greater. What is more significant, God creating the world or the Creator becoming a part of the creation? Isn't that interesting? One is much more significant than the other. And that is that God Himself became a man. He became like us. That is Christianity. And the good news is He became like us without sin. All right, so he's like me, but he has no sin. And that way he could become my Savior. So if, if we're going to understand what biblical discipleship is, the first thing that we need to understand is what is biblical Christianity? Because you can't have biblical discipleship without biblical Christianity. That's where it starts. And the Bible describes Christianity with this word, mystery. Mystery. A mystery is something that was hidden from the world until God revealed it. It's something that could not be known unless God revealed it. So let's go to the, the first of these mysteries is in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3, 
in verse 16. The Bible says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Do you see that? The mystery of godliness. So in Christianity, the first of these things that the Bible calls a mystery, and it's not a mystery like Nancy Drew or the Hardy Boys or whatever. It's a, it's a mystery with this definition. It is truth that could not be known unless God revealed it to us. All right? So Christianity is made up of these mysteries. Now, it's not like some Gnostic religion or some weird thing. It's something that God has revealed to us, and they're identified as mysteries. The first one is here, and it says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. So what is the mystery of godliness? It's very simple. God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. Now, if you have a different translation of the Bible, your Bible might say he who was manifest in the flesh. Not God was manifest in the flesh. How many of you see that that's a big difference? That is a big difference. What is the, it's not a mystery that somebody was manifest in the flesh. Manifest means made plain, could be seen in the flesh. How many of you can be seen in the flesh? How many of you have a little too much flesh? Right? You're very easily seen. Very easily seen. That's not a mystery. All right? Can you imagine? You look at a mirror and go, oh, I didn't know I had that. That's not a mystery. That's obvious. There's no controversy about that. The, the, the mystery that is revealed here in the text is that God became flesh. God was made a man. That's the foundation of Christianity. That is biblical Christianity. There are people in the world who call themselves Christians who do not believe that Jesus Christ was God. So that might be Christianity, but it's not biblical Christianity. Is that fair? Because the Bible says, without controversy, it's like this. If you don't believe that, if you call yourself a Christian and don't believe that God was manifest in the flesh, I can't talk to you. I can't help you. There's, there's, you're not a Christian. Now, I'd like for you to become a Christian. Here's how you become a Christian. You believe that God was manifest in the flesh and that He died on the cross for you and that He was buried and that He rose from the dead, proving that He was, is, and always will be God. That's the foundation of Christianity. And isn't that clear? I think that we all understand. That's the foundation of Christianity. That's, that's the first of the mysteries. Go to Colossians chapter 1. That was the mystery of godliness. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Let's look at another one. Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 24. So if you look at the end of verse 23, the verse says, Whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church. And so we're going to look at the church and define the church in our next point in an hour or two. All right, now, look at verse 25. Whereof, somebody's going, what? What did he say? What? Okay, verse 25. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation, the dispensing, okay, according to the dispensation 
of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Okay, so what is in this dispensation? What is he going to give us? Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations and is now made manifest to his saints. Okay, so it's made plain to his saints. That's St. Dominic and St. Francis and St. Bernard. and No, no, no. A saint is a person who's placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. I'd like to introduce you to myself. I'm St. James. <laughs> if, if you're saved, you're a saint. You don't have to do miracles. You don't have to wait until you die and have somebody beatify you. A saint is a person who's placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for their eternal salvation. All right. So what Paul is saying is God has given me this mystery to give to you. Paul said, God told me something that you need to know. All right. And here's what it is. It's a mystery. Even, verse 26 again, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations and is now made manifest to his saints. What is that mystery? To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. All right, so now, the first mystery was that God became man. God was manifest in the flesh. That's the first mystery, mystery of godliness. Here is the mystery of Christ. And the mystery of Christ is not only did God become a man, but when you become a believer, Christ comes to dwell in you. Christ is dwelling in you. And do you know what that means? That's the hope of glory. Do you know the only way that you can go to heaven is if you have Christ in you? So what are we doing? We're defining what Christianity is. Christianity has been revealed through these mysteries. The first one is that God became flesh. The second one is that, that Jesus Christ comes to dwell in you. So you say, how does that work? Well, how many of you have heard of demon possession? Right? Don't look at your wives. I see how some of you men, what you're doing here. You've heard of demon possession, right? I've only seen that, at least what I thought was that one time. Uh, when we had ministry there at Oklahoma State, we were uh, giving the gospel and laying the foundations of Christianity, really, some of the stuff that we're talking about here. And we had a, a, a lady from a foreign country, and whenever I would read the scripture, she'd start cackling in this really weird voice. And I'd stop reading, and she'd go back to being normal. I got to tell you, it freaked me out. <laughs> All right, that was a weird deal. That concept that I think that we're all familiar with of demon possession, just the opposite of that is being filled with Jesus Christ. And the difference is it's a horrible thing to be filled with a devil. It's a wonderful thing to be filled with Jesus Christ. How does that work? Jesus Christ, when he left, when he ascended to heaven, remember, Jesus Christ died on the cross, then he, he rose from the dead three days later, and then he walked the earth for 40 days. And many people saw him. Uh, according to 1 Corinthians 15, there were 500 eyewitnesses of him that could be called by name. All right, People who could attest to the fact that they had seen the risen Christ. 500 eyewitnesses. Then Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. And remember what happened. These angels came and they said, Why stand you gazing into heaven? And the, then, then they told him, This same Jesus which you've seen go shall come again in like manner as you've seen him go. 
Jesus Christ is going to come back in the clouds. He ascended into the clouds. He's going to come back through the clouds, and He is going to return to this earth. Isn't that right? But Jesus said, It is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Holy Spirit will not come unto you. The Comforter, which I send in my name, He will come unto you. So what did Jesus Christ do? Jesus left. He ascended to heaven. He's right now seated at the right hand of the Father. All right? But He didn't leave us alone. The Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Bible describes Him, is indwelling every saved person. Now, how many of you have heard that term before, being saved? I've asked people, have you been saved? And they'll say, yes. One time I was out in a boat, I fell off the boat, and my uncle dove in and saved me. How many of you have heard someone answer the question that way? Something similar to that, right? I almost, I almost married this guy, and my dad saved me from him. there's, There's that component to being saved. That's not what we're talking about in a scriptural sense. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved. Saved from what? From your sin and the penalty of that sin, which is eternal torment in hell. All right? When a person is born again, when they're saved, they're saved from the punishment that they deserve. I have been saved from the punishment that I have earned. When that happens, I can't continue to save myself because I never saved myself in the first place. The mystery that's being spoken of here is God, the Son, sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in me when I was born again, when I was saved. That is my hope of eternal life. Okay, I've got this ring on my finger. What does this ring mean? Eternal torment and suffering. No. (laughs) What is this? Remember at the wedding, they would say, uh, the the preacher would say something like this. uh, Do you have the ring? May I see the ring? The ring is, uh, it's a circle because it's a symbol of God's never-ending love for us. And it's also a symbol of your relationship. So this means that Laura and I, when, when I took this ring, she put it on my finger. It, it was a different ring. I lost the first one on the golf course. It's another story. It's really bad. Um, when she put the ring on my finger, and I, she said, with this ring, I thee wed. Now this is saying that we're together forever till death. Right? And why until death? Because the Bible says that in heaven they neither marry nor given in marriage. All right? So you're not married anymore in heaven, but you know each other. You dwell uh, together. It, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. But here on earth, this, this ring, it's a seal. It's a sign that I'm married. What this ring does is it disappoints all the other ladies in the world. It's... <laughs> oh, man, you talk about heresy, right? No, but what this ring does is this ring identifies, this tells people that I'm taken. In the Amish community, I don't think they use rings. Guys wear a beard in a certain way, and that demonstrates that they're, that they're married. Uh, I like the, uh, the Amish uh, guy that divorced his wife. You all know this one. All the electricity was gone from the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is, <laughs> oh, this is a seal. Well, when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in me, the Bible says that's a seal. That's a seal. I'm sealed until the redemption of the purchased possession. What is that? Jesus bought me with his blood. 
And now I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit until He comes to take me out of this world. Isn't that wonderful? That's a mystery. That, that's biblical Christianity. And that Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ dwelling in me, that's different than any other faith that was ever introduced on the face of the earth. It was something completely new. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 3. It tells us a little bit more about this mystery of Christ. <clears throat> Ephesians 3, look at verse 1. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. So when it says that, that's not hyperbole. He was in jail. He was in prison, and he wrote this letter from prison. Um, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God. Remember, that's the giving of the grace of God. The dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, or in few words. Whereby, when you read... You may understand my knowledge in the what? Mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. All right, so this is, this is real clear. Remember we defined what a mystery is? It's a mystery that it's something that was true but couldn't be known until God revealed it. And so this is where we get the definition for that. Verse 5, uh, again, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Okay, so what is this? If you believe the gospel, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the Scriptures. If you believe that, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you. And what the mystery that's being referred to here, the other aspect of the mystery of Christ is... Christ didn't only come to the Jews, He also came to the Gentiles. Jews can receive Jesus Christ as Savior, but so can Gentiles. Is there anyone here who is not Jewish? Right? Most of us. Most of us. Yet we can still receive Jesus Christ. So this is a mystery. What is, what's important about this? Many religions are based on ethnicity. A religion was for a particular tribe. Some people would say, my tribe is better than your tribe because we have this particular God. Well, now the Bible says that the body of Christ is made up of people from every tribe, nation, and tongue on the face of the earth. In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's barbarians are even in us. Is that right? Those are the Michigan fans. That's the... Boy, how about Michigan State and Michigan? Is that unbelievable? The little brother has really risen up, hasn't he? It's just a different subject. But <laughs> this, this concept, it's so important. It's so important that we understand this, that this, this religion, this faith, it's not based on a group of people. It's based on Jesus Christ. For all men. Everybody. Everybody. All right. Now, let's look at the next one. Go with me to um, Ephesians chapter 5. Here's another mystery. Ephesians 5. So what are the mysteries that we have? First of all was the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. The second is the mystery of Christ. And that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The indwelling Christ, which is the promise of eternal life. The second part of that mystery of Christ is that it's for the Jews and the Gentiles. It's for everybody. 
right? So now, look at this third mystery. It's in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Christ and the church. The mystery of Christ and the church. What is that mystery? Well, it's the mystery that God was no longer going to reach the world through the nation of Israel. Because the nation of Israel had rejected Christ, God was going to evangelize the world through Jews and Gentiles alike in the church. Very important that you hear what I'm saying right here. He didn't reject the Jews. He said he would reach the world now through the church, which includes Jews and Gentiles. Very important. Anti-Semitism comes from, or the, the anti-Jewish understanding comes from people saying, God rejected Israel, now doesn't want it to have anything to do with the Jews, and only comes to the church. Remember the Mel Gibson flap when he made The Passion of Christ? How the Jewish groups were protesting the movie? Why? Because it was a passion play. And in Europe, when they would put on a passion play around the Easter celebration, they would get done with the passion play, and then they'd go find some Jews and kill them. That's what they would do. What is that? That's a misunderstanding, and it's a horrible, wicked misunderstanding of what the church is. All right? And we'll get to some of that again in a few hours. Now, so what do we have? Mystery of godliness, the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the church... And then let's, let's just go through this quickly. Go to Romans chapter 11. This really applies to what we were just talking about. The next mystery, Romans chapter 11, verse 25. Romans 11, verse 25. It is interesting that, that really a lot of the foundation for this anti-Semitism came from the church of Rome. And who's this book addressed to? The Romans. Isn't that interesting? Those are things from history that happen. I'm always interested by that. All right, Romans chapter 11, verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this, what? Mystery. Lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall, turn, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. So what's the mystery? The mystery is, look, uh, I understand. Here's what Paul through the Holy Spirit is writing. Christians, I understand that the nation of Israel is persecuting you right now. I understand that. They're enemies for your sake. You see what it says in verse 28? As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. The mystery is that some of them are just blinded to the gospel right now. Not all of them, but some of them are blinded to the gospel. Don't think that there's no hope for them. The, the mystery is this. All of Israel is going to be saved. Oh, when, when I come, Jesus is saying, when I return and I establish, the, the, I take out the church and the, I'm dealing with Israel in the tribulation period, all that survive and turn to me, they are going to be saved. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. So what should we take from this? Well, let's not count out God's people. Why? Because they're still God's people. And the Bible calls them the apple of His eye. I'd say we should not touch the apple of God's eye. Amen? And that's why we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's why we as a nation have been on Israel's side. We have wanted to be their ally. Do we agree with everything Israel does? Of course not. Of course not. But I'd rather be on their side than not on their side if we want God to bless the United States of America. Why? Bible says in Genesis chapter 12, I'll bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee, talking about Israel. 
So what are we? What should we? How many of you want to be cursed? You know what I want to do today? I want to be cursed. No, no, I want to be blessed. So what do we do? We bless Israel. So what's that mystery? It's the mystery of the salvation of Israel. Then the next mystery is the mystery of the rapture, the mystery of God taking out the church. Look at First Corinthians chapter fifteen. First Corinthians chapter fifteen. What is the church? I'm sorry. What is biblical Christianity? What is it? It's revealed in these mysteries. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and go all the way back to verse 51. Behold, I show you a what? A mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That's the nursery worker's favorite verse, right? Okay, so we're not all going to sleep. That means we're not all going to die. Some believers will... Uh, the Lord will return while some believers are still alive. All right, verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? That's the mystery of the rapture. Do you know what's going to happen someday? How many of you have seen that the Left Behind movie is out? I understand it's terrible. It only covers just a little bit and it never really explains what the rapture is. So here's what the rapture is. Every saved person, all those people who have acknowledged the mystery of godliness who have accepted the mystery of Christ, where Jesus Christ comes to dwell in you. All of you who are saved, you're born again. One of these days, Jesus Christ is coming back, and all the believers are going to be taken out of the world. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? He is coming back. He is going to return. That's the mystery of the rapture. And then everyone that is not saved, everyone that's still here on this earth, is going to go through... A horrible time. Jesus said a time of tribulation, a time of tribulation such has never been on the earth or ever will be again. That's coming. What am I talking about? I'm talking about biblical Christianity. What is biblical Christianity? It is revealed in these mysteries. Look at the next mystery. And if you'll notice, all of these mysteries pertain to the church. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at verse 7. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. All right. So without getting into a whole lot of things right here, what's going to happen? Look at the next verse. Or verse let's look at verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. That wicked. Notice it's capitalized. That's Antichrist. Satan incarnate. There's going to be a man who has Satan indwelling him who's going to become a political and religious ruler on this earth. That doesn't happen until something is taken out of the way. Do you know what that is? It's you and me. It's the believers. The only thing that's keeping this earth from descending into complete darkness and chaos is the presence of the believers, the church, on this earth. What's the mystery of iniquity? It's Satan working in the world. What are we supposed to do, you and me? We're supposed to combat that. 
We're supposed to offset that, the darkness with the light. We have the light. The light of the world is Jesus. We have that light. And we're going to see some of that in a minute. Look at the next mystery. It's chapter Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17. Look at verse 5. Uh, look at verse 3 for the context. Revelation 17, verse 3. The Apostle John, writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, So he carried me away in the Spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written. What's it say? Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. So what is this? This is a false church. This is a false church state system that's going to bring corruption and death to the world. All right, what is this? Biblical Christianity. <laughs> this is not biblical Christianity. This is describing what biblical Christianity is. It's revealed through these mysteries. The first, the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. The mystery of Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit. The mystery of the church, how God was going to work through Jews and Gentiles to evangelize the world. The mystery of Israel's salvation. Don't persecute them. He's not done with them yet. The mystery of the rapture. We're going to be taken out. And then the mystery, this mystery Babylon, that all along as God is working through the true churches... There's going to be a false system that's bubbling up that's going to take over the world. That's the direction that we're headed. That's where it's coming. That is biblical Christianity. How many of you recognize that's what biblical Christianity is? And God has revealed it to us through those seven mysteries. So if we're going to understand discipleship, we have to start with what is biblical Christianity. And then secondly, what is the church? What is the church? Uh, let me read to you. There's a, there was a, a great Baptist preacher. His name was Clarence Larkin. Listen to what he wrote about the church. He said, The church is not an organization, but an organism. Therefore, it is not a social club organized and supported solely for the benefit of its members. It is not a place of amusement to pander to the carnal nature of man. It is not a house of merchandise for the sale of indulgences or other commodities, whereby the money of the ungodly can be secured to save a penurious church member a little sacrifice. Neither is it a reform bureau to save the bodies of men. The reformation of men is very commendable, as are all forms of social service, but that is not the work or mission of the church. The world was just as full, if not fuller, of the evils that afflict society today in the days of Christ. But he never, nor did the apostles, organize any reform agencies... He knew that the source of all the evils in the world is sin, and the only way to eradicate sin is to regenerate the human heart. And so he gave the world the gospel. And the mission of the church is to carry that gospel to the whole world, Mark 16, 15. The gospel is not a system of ethics or a code of morals. It is a proclamation of salvation. That's what the church is for. The church, our, the, the, the job of the church is to take the gospel to the entire world. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to some of the people. What's it say? To every creature. To every creature. 
So the first thing that we need to understand, go to Ephesians chapter 1, and I think we're going to be primarily here in Ephesians 1 and finish up. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's try to get an understanding of what the church is. Again, if a disciple is, is, if the, a disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to know what Christ wanted us to do. What did Christ come to accomplish? All right, look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our, Fa our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all physical blessings on earth. What does it say? With spiritual blessings, where? In heavenly places. So the first thing that we need to understand is the church is spiritual. The church is spiritual. Uh, I was thinking of this as I was driving uh, into the office here the other day. Um, how many of you would be honest enough to confess that you sometimes pray for stuff? Yeah, that's okay. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about people in Liberia right now. Our missionary works with 73 churches in Liberia. And one of the pastors, his wife, was just uh, diagnosed with Ebola. And so they've, they've forced the, the quarantine of that whole family now. How many of you think that that's probably a pleasant thing in Liberia? No, no. Does God love that pastor as much as he loves us? Lydia has told me about Nellie Olson on uh, Little House on the Prairie. She wrote an essay, Why, Le Why Jesus Loves Me More Than Most. <laughs> Jesus doesn't love you more than He loves anyone else. And that, he doesn't love me more than He loves anyone else. Does He love me, a pastor in Sydney, Ohio, more than He loves that pastor in Liberia, in Africa? No, of course not. This is where we have to understand we're blessed spiritually. Now, as Americans, are we blessed unbelievably physically in, in, in physical things? Yes. But the primary blessings that the church brings are spiritual blessings. Spiritual blessings. We don't want to miss that. I, I'd like to spend some more time on that, but I can't. Um, what do we, what, what, how does he demonstrate that? Look at verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So what are the spiritual blessings? We're holy. And we're without blame before Him. I stand before Christ sinless. I stand before God the Father sinless. Why? Because I'm perfect? No, 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 no. Because Jesus Christ's blood has washed away my sins. And I've been clothed, I've been robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. All right? Is that a spiritual blessing? Man, that's wonderful. Um, look at what it says in verse 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. All right, so what happened here? Well, now I am an heir and a joint heir with Christ. I have an inheritance coming to me because I've been adopted into the family of God. That's awesome. That is a spiritual blessing that comes from my salvation. So when we're talking about the church, it begins with a spiritual body. And then look at what it is. Not only is the church spiritual, but the church is supposed to be to the praise of the glory of God. Verse 6, to the praise of, his, of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted. Where? In the beloved. The church was, has never been promised to be accepted in the community. 
The, the Bible never promised it would be accepted in the schools or in the government. We're accepted in Jesus Christ. We might be persecuted by the government. Is that right? And so we've got to remember where this is. And all of that is to the praise of His glory. Verse 7, in whom we have redemption through His blood. He's, he's purchased us with His blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, <coughs> wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to the good pleasure which He hath purposed in Himself. What is that mystery? That in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ. What is that? That's that mystery of Christ. It's the same mystery that we saw before. If you're saved, you're in Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Is that to your glory and your praise? No. It's to the praise of Jesus Christ. The purpose of the church is not to bring me glory. It's to bring Him glory. The purpose of the church is not to bring you glory. Oh, look at our building. We have the nicest building in town. We have the best choir in Shelby County. We have the... Is that what the church is for? We have the best potluck of any of the churches. Is that what the church is for? No. No. Then look at what it says. Verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His will, that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. When you trust in Christ, God wants you to be to the praise of His glory. All right, so what is the purpose of the church? The purpose of the church is it's all about Him. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about our buildings. It's about Jesus Christ. That's the church. That's what it's about. All right? So the church is spiritual. The church is to the praise of His glory. And the church is His body. Now, how many of you have heard this statement? The church is not the building. It's the people. How many of you have heard that said. I have said that. Do you know what I realized in getting ready for this sermon? Ugh, it's not true. The church is not the people. The church is His body and we are in Him. How many of you see the difference? Because if the church is the people, then the church is about the people. And we can decide what kind of church we want to have. I want a church that doesn't talk about all that bloody stuff. Laura and I were, uh, we went out to eat. I think we were e eating with Joby Jimerson. And there were several ladies that were sitting next to us at a table. And I could hear them talk. And all you men can appreciate that, right? So we could hear these, these ladies talking. And the one lady was the organist at a church. And she said, I get to pick the songs. So I, we don't do any of those bloody songs. I don't like that. That's, that's disgusting to me. Isn't that interesting? You see, our job is not to decide what we glory in. What did, what did the Holy Spirit have the Apostle Paul write? I won't glory in anything but the cross of Jesus Christ. Was the cross of Jesus Christ a bloody place? It was. What's the Lord's Supper about? It, it's about remembering the blood that Jesus Christ shed for us. We can't choose what we want. Oh, uh, uh, well, I, I don't want a church where, uh, where they talk about hell. I want a, I want, there's a church up by where my, uh, my dad lives. It was called the Nice Church. I'm serious. I had this pink sign. It's called the Nice Church. 
We're the angry church. No, that's, and I, I don't, what, what would you, isn't that interesting? God didn't call us to be nice. He called us to be Christ-like. Uh, now, we ought to have a good demeanor and all of those things, but the issue isn't we don't get to vote what kind of church we have. Uh, I saw a, a flyer that was sent out for churches, and one of them was, come to our church. You, um, there, there's no doctrine here. At least they're being honest. (laughs) But uh, I'm thinking, the Bible says, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. All right, so they're advertising, come to our church. We're disobedient to the Bible. You see, if we understand that the church is His body and that it's all about Him, then we do not determine what is preached. We do not determine what is believed. We do not determine how we behave. We simply submit to the one who is the head of the church, Jesus Christ. Not the head of the church, the pastor. The head of the church, Jesus Christ. He determines the direction of the church. It's all about Him. The church is not about us or what we want. It's about Him. It's not about programs. It's not about buildings. It is about being to the praise of His glory. The church is not about the church. The church is about Him. This is an interesting thing. I heard. I think it was James Knox I heard say this. Many churches, the purpose of their existence is to continue existing. Isn't that interesting? Do you know the best way for a church to continue to exist? Stay true to the the Scriptures, continue leading people to Christ, and baptizing them. And then you train them. That's the way that a church will continue. It's not about buildings and things. Now, isn't it wonderful that we have a building that we can come into? It's awesome. And, And that's helpful and it's necessary, but the church is not about the buildings. I brought these books in here to to give you an example. Um, This is the history of the First Baptist Church, Newport News, Virginia, written by Lewis Peyton Little. And it's all about the ministry of the church and what God did in that church. And it's a blessing. Now, remember how liberalism has come into the churches, right? This is another history of the same church. History of the First Baptist Church, Newport News, Virginia. This one was written in the 1950s. Do you know what this is about? The history of the buildings. The history of the committees. How can the history of a church be about the history of the building? How can that be? That's because it has ceased to be a biblical New Testament church. Now, let me say this. I don't have any idea whether this church is biblical anymore. But the perspective that this book was written, uh, the perspective that this book was written from demonstrates the, the weakness in our thinking. I'll read a church history book, and like a history of the Baptists, let's say, And it'll get to the end of the book, and it's about Baptist expansion. And it's going to say, we support this many missionaries. Our buildings are worth this much money. We've given this much money to missions. We have this many people. So the estimation of the church is how many buildings we have, how much money we give. What's the estimation of the church? Are we living to the praise of His glory? Amen? It changes everything, folks. It changes everything from a physical, fleshly approach 
to a spiritual and a holy approach. It is all about Him. Then, let's, let's just read a little bit more here in Ephesians 1. Verse 12, "...that we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation." In whom after that ye were, even after you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. What's it say there? Unto the praise of His glory. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to make mention of you, or seek not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of church ministry. What's it say? Of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. See, that's spiritual. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to upward, to usward who believe according to the working of His mighty power. Now, I want you to notice something right here. Look at verse 19 again. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who work really hard? See, our faith is not based on our works, is it? It's based on His work. And that's exactly what the verse says. According to the working of His mighty power... Verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Now look at where Jesus Christ is. Ready for this? Far above all principality and power and might and dominion. So that's all the demon realms. And every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The church has Jesus as its head, and it belongs to him. It belongs to him. Now, I want you to notice something here in verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. The full expression of God on this earth was Jesus Christ. Right? We beheld His glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake unto the Father, in, in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, who, being the express image of His person, and upholding all things by His power. All right? That's Jesus Christ, the express image of His person. He's the fullness. So the full expression of God on this earth, the book of Colossians says, in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's Jesus, okay? Jesus was on this earth reflecting that. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. He sent His Holy Spirit to indwell us. Is that right? We've established that, the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? Now, the New Testament church is to be the full manifestation of God the Father. This is our duty. This is what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be the expression of God through the Son, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us as we live in this world and represent Him. 
Okay? So here's the idea. How many of you understand the Bible says, no man has seen God at any time? Is that what the Bible says? So how's the world going to see God now? Through me. Through you. Are you wondering why the world isn't seeing God? That's what discipleship is about. Discipleship is about building us to the place where we are an accurate reflection of who God wants us to be in this world. The Bible tells us how this works. Um, Look with me at Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. All right, so now here's, here's the way that our home is supposed to look. Our home is supposed to reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. How many of you recognize that the churches aren't really, in general, aren't really doing what they're supposed to do in the world? Would you, all, would you all agree with that? Why do you think that is? I think it's because our homes aren't the way that they're supposed to be. We don't really know what the church is supposed to be, so our homes aren't right. Our homes aren't right, so the church isn't right. All right? The, we're supposed to be like Christ. Our homes are supposed to represent the relationship of Christ and the church. Is that what the Bible says? Right? Very clear. It's very clear. Now look at what the Bible says. Let's go on. Verse 24. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in what? Everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. All right, so what is, what does, what is Christ's purpose for the church? We know the purpose of the church is to take the gospel to the world. What's Christ's purpose for the church? Look what the verse says. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Why? He wants to cleanse us. He wants to sanctify us because he has been sanctified. He wants to wash us because he's clean. What what is it? He wants to make us like him so that we reflect the Father in the world. That's that's what he wants to do. The, the, The way that he's chosen to do that Look at what it says. Verse 26 again. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by what? The Word. What is discipleship? It's a mature believer taking another believer and helping that believer be washed and sanctified by the Word of God. That's what discipleship is. That's the purpose of it. See, we are to be, uh, we are to be to the world what Jesus Christ was to the world. So Jesus, according to John 1, was full of grace and truth. So what should we be? Full of grace and truth. What's the truth? Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We should be full of grace and truth, full of the word of God. The Bible says in Hebrews 7.26 that Jesus was holy, harmless, undefiled and separate from sinners. So what should we be? Holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. Does that mean that you never talk to a sinner? No, but you're supposed to be different. 
shouldn't look just like the world. shouldn't look like, just like the world. We're supposed to be different. That's the church. That's the church. The purpose of the church is to show the glory of God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, look, look, look with me at verse 27. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church. Now, let me ask you that, that glorious. Is that for us to be glorified or to bring him glory? To bring him glory, right? Not having spot or wrinkle. All right, this is so funny to me. We have a culture that's so concerned about spots and wrinkles. Right? Proactive. Got to get rid of spots. Wrinkles. Facelifts and tummy tucks and whatever. But we have a culture that's so interested in spots and wrinkles. Is that right? Jesus says that, the, that remember... It's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. He wants us to be clean and holy. Our garments, spiritually. Very interesting. All right? So look, look at what it says. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So how does that happen? How does, what is the process to become, to get rid of the spots, to get rid of the wrinkles, to get rid of the blemishes, and to bring about holiness? What's the process? Look at the next verse. This is so cool. The next verse. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth his himself. All right, so here's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love the Lord. We're supposed to love the Lord's work as much as we love our own bodies. You men, you're supposed to love your wives as much as you love yourself. I think that's so funny. God knows how much we love ourselves. Right? I gotta be me. <laughs> People love themselves. Uh, look, love your wives that much. But now look at, let's read the next verse. No, for no man ever yet hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. What is the key to discipleship? Love. It's love. The purpose of the church is to sanctify it because he was sanctified, to wash it because he was clean. You were saved so that he could accomplish this in your life. All right, let's finish this up. What's the problem? Why, why is discipleship such a problem? All right? Because of the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, everything that's around me. This world system is designed to keep you from having this accomplished in your life. You, you get that, right? There's, sometimes you start discipleship and you say, why is this so hard? I feel like everything's against me. Good. I'm glad you understand it. 
That's what we're inviting you to. Wouldn't that be a great card to mail out? Come to our church where the entire world is against you. That's biblical Christianity. That's what biblical Christianity is. So the world, that's all that's around me. The flesh, me. What's, what's the problem with growth? Me. Me. And then, if that's not enough, the devil. The God of this world. If you get to where you are able to swim against the current of the world and you get through the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to overcome your flesh, then you meet Satan. You know what the good news is? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Amen. Amen. What is discipleship? Discipleship is to prepare an army. Not to take up arms, but to take the sword of the Spirit and take it into the world and show the world who Jesus Christ is. That's what discipleship is all about. What's the enemy? The enemy is the world, my job, my hobbies, my friends, my family, family reunions, mom and them. All of that is arranged to keep us from becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. So what's the answer? It's got to be on purpose, folks. It's got to be on purpose. It's got to be where we love Jesus Christ so much that we order our lives to be able to become a disciple. That we order our lives in such a way that we're able to help someone else to become a disciple. It has to be. That's the whole purpose of the New Testament church. We're a body. We're a body. The body can't function without all of its members. The local New Testament church is the way that that body functions in this world. Some of you are the tongue. Some of you are the ears. Some of you are the toes. Have you ever tried to walk without a big toe? You sure can't jump, I promise you that. We need you toes. We need you thumbs. Remember Garth Brooks? I always thought he looked like a thumb. It's true. What part are you? We need you. How does that happen? Through discipleship. Through discipleship. What are you doing in the body? Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm so thankful.